Hello, I'm Chris Kreitcho, and this is Neura Station, a show about the Rust programming language and the people who use it. This is a news episode for Rust 1.28. Parity Technologies is sponsoring this episode because they need Rust engineers. They're advancing the state of the art in decentralized technology, from their flagship software, the Parity Ethereum client, to building cutting edge tech in areas like WebAssembly and peer to peer networking. The next big project is Polkadot, a platform leveraging blockchain tech for scaling and interop in decentralized systems. Parity loves Rust for its trifecta of safety, speed, and correctness. If any of that sounds interesting, check out their jobs at paritytech.io slash jobs. Thanks again to Parity. Now let's talk Rust. Rust 1.28 was a slightly smaller release than the last few have been, but that's okay. As we'll talk about in a few minutes, a lot of what is happening is the build-up to the 2018 edition release. And of course, we've been spoiled by some very large releases in prep for the 2018 edition lately. Before we get into some of the things going on with the edition release, though, let's dig into what did land with 1.28. The major feature that stabilized this release, and don't let my comment above make you think this isn't actually a pretty big deal, is the global allocator attribute and some supporting functionality in the standard library. This is a really, really important stabilization, not for most people's everyday use of Rust, but for a lot of specialized domains, some of which probably will become pretty everyday over the next few years. Let's take a step back and talk about what an allocator is. An allocator is the underlying library that your programming language uses when it needs to get more memory from the system. This happens all the time in normal Rust code, every time a vector needs to grow because it's going to be full otherwise, for example. But it usually happens under the hood, and you don't have to think about it. Different allocators have different behaviors and different characteristics. Some are better at avoiding fragmentation of the allocated heap memory, for example. Others are better at accounting for multiple threads all needing to request new heap memory. Rust usually uses either an allocator called JEMALLOC or the system allocator. It depends on the platform. There are times, though, when you just don't have a built-in system allocator and you need to supply your own. For example, some quote-unquote bare metal environments are like this. So, as it turns out, is my favorite Rust environment, WebAssembly. Nick Fitzgerald had a great write-up a few months ago on the WeAlloc allocator he built for WebAssembly. I've linked both the allocator and the blog post in the show notes for this episode. Until 1.28, that required nightly. Now, it doesn't. This is one of a number of really important steps along the path to supporting all of those environments, bare metal, WebAssembly, and so on, where you have some different needs from the normal modern operating system context. To opt into this, or for that matter, to opt into using the system allocator on a platform where Rust normally uses JEMALLOC, you define a static variable, you assign the relevant allocator to it, that would be system in the case of the system allocator, we allocs, we alloc init in the case of we alloc, and so on with other allocators, and then you set the global allocator attribute on that static variable you declared. It's actually a pretty simple way to be able to flip such an important switch. To go along with all of this, there's also a new trait in the standard library, global allocator, which you can implement to supply your own custom allocator. As usual, the docs are really solid here. They tell you super important things, like the fact that custom allocator methods are not allowed to panic. If they panic, you actually have undefined behavior. Nobody wants undefined behavior. 
As I noted at the start, most of that won't matter to you most of the time as a Rust user, but it's going to unlock a lot of great stuff on stable in the months ahead. Another language stabilization in Rust 1.28 is a small change in the big scheme of things, but it's, like these releases tend to be, a quality of life improvement, and actually a pretty big one. The error messages you get for invalid format strings, the ones you pass to things like the write or print line macros, are way nicer now. They used to be pretty non-descriptive, and at times they could actually mislead you about the error. Now, they're much more in line with Rust's overall nice error messages story. They tell you clearly why something is wrong and how to fix it. This remains one of my favorite things about Rust, and it's nice to see it continuing to improve. Finally, I wanted to mention one more language stabilization. There are actually several others, and you should see the release notes for them. This one is that unit tests, things marked with the test attribute, normally in a test module, can now return results with the success type being unit and the error type being anything that implements debug. This follows in the footsteps of the main function a few releases ago. As with the change to main, this just gets rid of a certain amount of boilerplate we used to have to do when dealing with top-level result instances in our functions. There's also some standard library functionality that landed. Besides the global allocator trait we talked about a minute ago, there's also one particular stabilization that I've already put to use in some WebAssembly code I'm working on. And this is the num non-zero types. These let you define an instance of a numeric type, for example, u8, which cannot be zero. So in that specific case, it would be num non-zero u8. The documentation notes that this gets you some memory layout optimizations. I'll note that there are also sometimes this just comes up in the domain you're trying to capture in your software. I'm really excited in general to see more and more happening in the numerics side of Rust. I think the language has a lot of potential here, and I look forward to seeing how it continues to grow in this area over the next few years. That is pretty much it for Rust 1.28, though again, there are more miscellaneous improvements in the release notes. You should always take a look at those to see all the details, because neither I nor the official blog posts can cover all of them in anything like a reasonable amount of time. This also seems like a good time to pause, though, and note that there were two point releases for 1.27, 1.27.1 and 1.27.2. I get the impression that there was some trepidation in the ecosystem around this. Did it reflect a lower degree of our normal commitment to stability, or a higher degree of bugginess, or in some other way more problems with the process? In a word, no. It's actually the opposite. I'll link to an official Rust blog post that traces this out in more detail. But in fact, these two extra point releases are a reflection of the Rust team's growing maturity and some real improvements in Rust itself. Team-wise, there's now a dedicated release team which manages all the hard coordination work of getting a Rust release out the door. If you think about all the components that have to go out to get that right, you can see how that would take a whole sub-team. It's a lot of work. That team's existence, though, means that shipping point releases when bugs are found is possible in a way it hasn't always been. It often just ended up delayed until the next minor release. The other thing is that specific bugs that were found were found because of the new, more robust system for borrow checking that has been developed over the last year or so. The borrow checker we all use today in stable Rust is pretty old, at least in Rust terms, and like all software, it does have bugs. The new borrow checker is much more robust and has actually exposed these bugs. So when that new borrow checker lands on stable, 
table, you will both have a much nicer time in a lot of cases because it solves some major ergonomic problems, the non-lexical lifetimes initiative, but it will also have many fewer such bugs over its lifetime because it's much more rigorously designed. Now, one other big Rust core bit of news we should cover is the revised schedule and plan for the 2018 edition release. Originally, you may recall that the very next release from right now when I'm talking, 1.29, was the target for the edition. Unsurprisingly, software being what it is, that date has slipped a bit. The 2018 edition release is now targeted for Rust 1.31, releasing on December 6th. There's also a slightly unusual release cadence to go with that, in the interest of getting every last bit of polish we can. The nightly version corresponding to... The 1.28 release, the one right now, is Edition Preview 2. The 1.29 release will have its beta channel be Release Candidate 1, and the 1.30 release will have its beta be Release Candidate 2. So the Rust 2018 Edition beta, the Release Candidate, will be on the beta branch on the next release, 1.29, and it will stay there for 1.30. Then, assuming there are no catastrophic bugs or problems discovered late in the game, it'll be promoted to stable in the 1.31 release. I want to elaborate and clarify that a little bit. Normally, Rust's train model means that the code that goes in a beta in one release goes into stable on the next release. We are intentionally changing that this time around. The 2018 edition will be on the beta channel with it turned on as stable, quote-unquote, in 1.29 and 1.30's beta releases, with only bug fixes going into that. And the aim is to make sure that the 2018 edition release, 1.31, is as tested, polished, and solid as it possibly can be. As I noted when I first explained the edition process earlier this year, this is a huge opportunity for presenting Rust to the world again, almost as much so as Rust 1.0 was, and probably just as important in many ways. So it's really important that we get it right. And you can help with that, so please do help. Please go test the addition changes in your code base, regardless of how big your code base is, whether it's just a small learning project or whether it is something really substantial that you're using for work. If there are gaps in the documentation, if there are weird things that show up in your testing, you name it, the Rust project needs to know about them. The edition guide, which I mentioned last time we talked about this, continues to be the go-to source for up-to-date information about what is changing. And as I noted in the last episode, you should actively try out both the new edition and the Rustfix tool that comes with it and automatically updates your code. We need those weird corners tested, and we need bugs ironed out. One particular tool you should help test, if you haven't tested it previously, is Rust Format. Rust format, which is spelled Rust FMT, sometimes people pronounce it Rust Fumpt, but I pronounce it Rust format, is an auto formatting tool, and I mentioned it on the show in the past. It's the kind of tool that actually might seem a little frustrating at first. That's not how I format my code. But it can end up being a true delight in the long run. I've been using not only Rust format, but also Elm format when I play with Elm, and prettier in the JavaScript and TypeScript ecosystem that latter one literally every day, and I honestly cannot imagine going back to formatting my own code. I just write the implementation, and I let the auto-formatting handle laying it out in a reasonable way. There is now a release candidate for Rust format out, so if you haven't tried it, you should. If you're using the RLS, for example, via Visual Studio Code, it's already available to you and I think already turned on by default. 
If you're not using the RLS, you can install Rust format by doing rustup install rust format hyphen preview. That's rust fmt hyphen preview. Once the 1.0 of this lands, the formatting it does on your code will be frozen for the foreseeable future. So we should make sure we find any particularly odd corner cases that are left. Beyond all of these things, there are also a bunch of interesting things happening in the Rust community. And several of these that I'm about to share came in from listeners. When I say email me news items and things of interest, I mean it. First, I've included a link in the show notes to Nick Cameron's LinuxConf AU 2018 tutorial, which is 90 minutes of goodness covering overall programming techniques in Rust. I am particularly happy to see this because, as I noted in my Rust Belt Rust talk last year, video content has been something of a gap in the Rust learning story. So thanks to Ted Bedwell for sending me that link. Another great thing I commend to you came in from Daniel Sockwell. It is a static site generator called Gutenberg. And for those of you who've happened to check out my started but unfortunately very much on hiatus lightning project, I'm happy to say that you should probably just go look at Gutenberg. It does 98% of what I wanted to build in lightning, and the last 2% is all to do with my very, very unusual needs around academic writing. So if you've wanted something like Jekyll or Hugo, but in Rust, and frankly with a better templating language than either of those in my opinion, Gutenberg might be what you're looking for. Go check it out. Last, but very much not least, and hopefully I'll get this out before RustConf starts, though we'll see. It's going to involve some editing on an airplane and trying to publish from a non-usual publishing setup, and we'll see. RustConf is this week. RustConf is tomorrow as I record, and I'm flying to Portland today. I will be there. I will be wearing my new Rust Station t-shirt and bearing loads and loads of new Rust Station stickers. So find me, say hi, get a sticker. I'm definitely planning on enjoying the talks. They're going to be good, I should know, because I helped pick them. I was on the program committee. But more than that, I'm really looking forward to meeting many of you, so please come say hi. As always, thanks to this month's sponsors, including Ramon Buckland, Matt Rudder, Marshall Clyburn, Rob Chuk, Dan Abrams, Nathan Scully, Derek Buckley, Sasha Grenier, Benam Esfabode, Peter Tillemans, David W. Allen, Paul Naranja, Anthony Deschamps, Olushe Shonaya, Damian Stanton, John Rudnick, Chip, Ryan Osiel, Zachary Snyder, Vesa Kaila Virta, Alexander Payne, Aaron Turan, Chris Palmer, Martin Huschober, Ray Flavine, Nick Stevens, Daniel Collin, Hans Fjallamark, and Daniel Mason. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash neurastation. You can also send a one-off my way. I've listed a bunch of options at the show homepage, neurastation.com. I also have show notes for every episode, scripts for most of the episodes, and transcripts for a number of the interviews there. Notes for this episode are in your podcast app right now. They're also at neurastation.com slash show underscore notes slash news slash rust underscore one underscore 28. Ratings, reviews, and recommendations in podcast directories are always appreciated. Even better, I love it when you tell people about the show yourself. You can reach me on Twitter at NeuroStation or at Chris Kreitcho. You can leave a comment in the threads on the Rust user forums in Hacker News, Lobsters, or Reddit. Or you can just send me an email at hello at NeuroStation.com. Until next time, happy coding. Happy coding.